I want to jump in. Um, it has been such a full morning, and um, I want to talk today. This is sort of a second part series, second part of it. It's actually the end of what has been a long series, but it's continuing the sermon I did last week, um, and it's really the, the coming together. There's sort of been a, a, I think it's quite sovereign, to be honest. You can make up your own mind about it, but we had decided to do a series called Through the Noise. It arises out of one of our distinctives of following Jesus and realizing there's a simplicity to that in that we're just trying to be like Jesus. There's a wonderful simplicity, but actually when you do it in 21st century urban Brisbane, it's actually pretty challenging. Yeah, and not everyone's cheering us on. Um, and so there's some white noise and static to that. And it's been a series where we've looked at how, does, how do we cut through with that? Um, now that has coincided, it wasn't our plan, it coincided with... Um, what has, has been and increasingly been quite a noisy thing going on in our, in our um, nation, which is the referendum. Um, there's a lot of noise about that, and appropriately, because it's a big thing. Um, so last week, I talked about, I'm, I tried to do this kind of spiritual pastoral high wire thing where it's not my job to tell you how to vote. I have deep, deep convictions about not using this pulpit or my position to influence you how to vote, that's between you and God. That's not my job. I do have a job that I'm answerable to God for, which is about leading us towards being the people of God in all things and all life, not just a little holy huddle. And so there's something really important going on in our nation at the moment. And um, as we engage in the conversation, it's revealing things about us and the, the way in which we're having that is really good. And there's this wonderful opportunity for us to talk because the core issue that, we're, that this referendum is about is about reconciliation. And um, what I want to... Oh, turn that on. Reconciliation, as soon as I say that word, it ha it's one of those words that has meaning um, out there you might think of, and particularly because of the context at the moment with the referendum, about the reconciliation movement. And, and that is a thing that's got a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of political agendas around it. It's got a lot of ideology around that. Um, and so there's this thing over here that's really important and that we should be really engaged in. And I, I wrote a letter that I don't know if you've actually got or read, but it's copies out there to try and suggest a way that we would engage um, in doing that faithfully. But here's the thing, and here's the thing, it's like an opportunity, a bit of a, a, bit of a difficult opportunity, but I'm going to take it, and you can tell me how I go with it, um, to actually talk about reconciliation, because that word is actually a Jesus word. That's, that's our word. <laughs> this is our story. And so this moment in our national... Um, agenda that is really difficult and there's lots of opinions around it, lots of good and like I've said one of my points there's good there's good reasons to vote no and there's some terrible reasons to vote no and guess what there's some good reasons to vote yes and some terrible reasons to vote yes and as I've been trying to have this in conversation for quite some time can I say it's been a little concerning I don't understand why Christians aren't talking about this more because it's the whole thing or at least starting there now I've got people I've had incredible conversations 
You should talk to Dr. Paul Tyson. The way this guy, he wrote a paper. He's, he's, he wrote a paper about the way he came at it. And it's amazing. I've had amazing conversations with people. And I'm not exactly even sure. I'm, I'm not here to say how Paul's going to vote. But who might think differently, but we're thinking about it the same way. And starting from reconciliation. It worries me, if I can be really honest, in that space where I'm a pastor, how little Christians are talking about reconciliation as the starting point. There's lots of really important stuff around the Constitution and around how politics works and around our, the history of our nation and closing the gap and the outcome. They're all really, really important things. Really important. You have any number of views. But we're being asked by First Nations leaders, do you think this is a pathway to reconciliation? We think it is because they've put it, say, we, we think this is a pathway to reconciliation. We at very least, here's my point, I'm giving away the ending. We should be going, oh, that's our thing. Let's, let's understand that a little bit more. Rather than jumping into things of the Constitution or things about political ideology, they're relevant. So this morning, what I'm going to try and do after saying all that is jump out of that space and come over here and let's just talk about reconciliation because there's kind of no bigger word in Scripture, no more importance. It's like ground zero for us. And my concern is all the wonderful conversations I've had with people, it's sometimes I'm not sure people realise that. And here's even the, I'll put all the big statements out early so you can get cranky with me early and then love me later because you have to or not one of my concerns maybe is that how would I say this yeah I'm going to say it like that is that maybe one of the reasons we're not leading into the the conversation and making decisions about whether we think it's a valid pathway or not to achieve something in our nation is because perhaps back here in our personal world we're not really leaning into it either. My hope for you this morning is to encourage you towards a lifestyle of reconciliation because I think following Jesus demands it of you. I think it's Jesus' expectation and we're going to look from Scripture how it's all the way through there. Now, over here in the voice thing about that, we're not going to talk about that. You can have your own opinion about whether you think it may be because you're so passionate from Scripture, you think, I'm not voting that because that's not going to get us there. That would be one of those good reasons. But at least start from there. But my sneaking suspicion is, and the reason to talk about it this morning and take time and risk offending you and looking like I'm overstepping lines, is because beyond what you think or don't think around the voice to Parliament, there's maybe people in your family. There's maybe reasons in your family. And thank you for leading, Joy and Andrew and Leanne, for leading us in that so well. So you know what? As big as I actually think this is, there's maybe even some more relevant personal things right up there for you to, to actually understand God's deep heart for reconciliation. So that's where we're going to go. Just, and I'm actually going to do a lot of just letting Scripture speak because there's a lot of stuff that Paul has written about this, a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm picking a fraction here. And put, to get Paul together with the Holy Spirit was pretty good with words. So it doesn't really need my help because some of this stuff just speaks for itself. So a little later, 
to understand reconciliation, again, we're, we're out, we're now out of this voice thing, all of that reconciliation, we're over here in scripture. To understand reconciliation requires us to understand um, repentance and forgiveness. They're connected. We're going to look at that a little bit. There's a relationship between those things that are really important. But to get a good picture of reconciliation, it's kind of in the same neighborhood as some other really big ideas. Now, that's shalom and atonement. Now, shalom is most often translated in your scripture. It's a Hebrew word. It means peace. But actually, kind of the absence of conflict, which is often how we think about peace, it's so much deeper and bigger than that. Shalom is the way things should be. So to get a really good idea of shalom, and you've maybe heard me do this before because I think this is like theology 101. Understanding God's story 101 is to start in Genesis. There you go. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But the story in Genesis says that God, the, the Lord of Lords, in, in full majestic power, the Lord of the universe creates. And there's this pattern that happens where he creates and then he goes, that's good. And then he creates something else. That's good. That's good. And he spends six days creating everything. And then he sits and it says he rests. Now that rest is, geez, I'm exhausted. That was, whew, that took everything. It's he sat down in the fullness of his authority and said it's finished and that is very good. What he's actually saying is that is the way it should be. And so we get this image there, even though it's sort of poetry and it's, it's um, you know, how much science is going on there and what, what's, what do we take all from that? The main point of that is to say what you see is humanity represented by Adam and Eve in, in relationship, good relationship with God, in good relationship with each other and in good relationship with creation. And God goes, that's the way it's meant to be. Now, one way of saying that was it's all unified. It's all consolidated. And that's where the root word, English, consolidated, it's all consiled. Now, very quickly, it all goes to hell in a handbasket. We step in, we start making choices, they're not great. Very, very quickly, alarmingly, in the first family, there's murder. It's all wrecked. And so now, God's saying, I'm not resting anymore because this is not as it should be. There is no shalom here. So now I need to reconcile. See how big it is? From, from chapter 2, God is now saying, I'm going to have to do something about this. So there's a sense in which we're always, we're trying to get back. If you're a follower of Jesus, if this is your story, we're trying to get back to when God said, this is the way it should be, shalom. Where everything is in right relationship with you. And the evidence, and Again, from that story, God doesn't rest until everything's right, until it's, uh, things are in right order. Time doesn't go backwards, it goes forwards. And so John has this image at the end of Scripture where he sees everything, God reveals, everything's fine again. And now it's, it's still a garden, everything's in right relationship. Behold, I'm making all things new. We live between those two things, right? So it's like at the end, God gets his way. At the end, God gets his way. At the beginning, absolutely. Hallelujah. That is the correct response. Thank you, Jenny. Hallelujah. We live in between. And guess what? He expects us to be a part of it. As we're going to see really plainly. Now, in between, 
we've got at one Because that word atonement is literally at one moment. And so Jesus comes and splits time in two. And here we see his work on the cross, which is often referred to the reconciling work on the cross, where he closes the gap. The part of the, the three parts that are not okay, us and God, us and each other, us and creation. He says, he sends Jesus to model what it's like to live in relationship, to live in harmony with that, the fully human but also fully divine, on the cross to take care of the thing between us and God, but also to model the world. Can, so can you see in reconciliation, we've got the three biggest kind of events are all represented by the word reconciliation. This is why it's such a big word. You, we, again, with, with greatest respect and love, but with clarity, you don't, if you're following Jesus, you don't get to take a hard or soft pass on reconciliation. It's what it's about. Now, we've got to figure out how do we work that out in our lives. Um, it's, I could just go through a whole lot of passages here. I'm going to jump to this one because this is the one you might recognize in 2 Corinthians. I think this is what Joy, um, Joy you went from. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So look here for the part. Look for, it's one thing for God to do something on the cross, this atonement thing. There's a temptation because it's kind of spiritual and if you've ever, if you've felt that and that come to Jesus moment and you kind of felt like you're made new and kind of something in here has happened and it's bubbled out. I can't explain it too well. It's all very spiritual, which is all true and wonderful. There's a temptation to think all this stuff is just spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. I want you to look in Scripture here for A, and it's all what God does, and we just respond. I want you to look for the partnership in Scripture, and I want you to look how practical it gets as, they, as Scripture speaks to this. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, oh, sorry, that's the one I wasn't going to read. Sorry, just 30 seconds of my sermon, I'm not getting back. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's no, I can't do any tricky work in the Greek there to make it not say that. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul doubles down. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I was reading this passage and realizing, wow, this has got very similar overtones and sentiment to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Where God says, Jesus says, therefore, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Now, making disciples, sometimes if you've been around church, we kind of do a shorthand thing and we go, make people become Christian converts. No, no. Disciples means you pick up and follow after what Jesus has done. You pick it up and you do it. Making disciples, teaching them all. So this is Paul doing the Great Commission. That first part where we respond and say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus for my eternal salvation, for him to resolve 
the, the problem of my sin to make me, all of that's there, then it's, I'm now actually also following Jesus out into the world. That's discipleship. And so here it's the same sense in which he's saying we're, we're following after Jesus, we're carrying on what he does. Let's watch how practical this gets. Now, if you are married here and you did uh, pre-marriage counselling with a Christian, an old Christian couple who your church told you you should go and listen to, I may or may not be being biographical here, they probably would have said something like, 50 years ago we made a commitment when we got married to never let the sun go down on an argument. Hands up. Can I, can I get an amen? Do I, get, do I testify? Yeah, there it is. It's all coming to you at some stage. It'll be some of these people saying it. Anyway, all good. So you kind of thought, oh, that's a bit in Scripture that's about marriage advice. Good marriage advice. Great marriage advice. Hands up if you think that's great marriage advice. Absolutely great marriage advice. Here's the context, though, that Paul was talking about. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. This is actually Paul being very, which he could be very specific. This is like, this is not metaphorical. He's saying, no, no, here's a good advice for all of you to live by. If something's broken in your household, relationally, don't let, do, do whatever you can to reconcile it before the sun goes down. It, that's great advice. Parents, is that not great advice for parenting? Is that not great advice for friendship? Let me pause right here. Come out and say, there's a whole other message and wisdom to go with this because I know in a room this size, and actually I just know some real stories where what is broken or undone unreconciled is the result of really severe trauma abuse one party the other party completely refusing to come to the table there's a whole lot of other scriptural wisdom that goes with that so can you please at this moment hear what I'm not saying or don't don't hear what I'm don't hear what I'm not saying yeah so there are times when this very simple and very direct in the way in which Paul meant it won't be, you don't want to take that verse and just slap it on your situation because there's a whole bunch of other stuff in the wisdom of God, the full counsel of Scripture that should go with that. So I understand that. 25, coming up to 30 years of kind of doing this, those contexts are there, they're real, they're extreme, they're traumatic. They are, thankfully, still the exception. Most, and over that time, the number of people walking around, number of believers walking around with little compartmentalised relationships where the door's closed to that one. I've put it in there and closed the door. And have for 10 years as a relation. And when you get behind that, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking how straightforward it is but over the years it's now very complex all because we may not be practicing what is meant to be the very core of our identity 
to pick up the ministry that God gave us. So again, all of this is in the realm. We are not talking about complex issues of the national agenda. I'm talking about your family, your friends. And perhaps some of this really complex stuff, if we actually were people and just started looking for opportunities to not let the sun go down in your own household. I, I, my kids are all here this morning. I would hope they're all about to get $20 because we've got an agreement that I don't talk of, about them unless I tell them beforehand and I forgot to. <laughs> you better listen to this. This is costing me $60, this, this gem right now. I, I trust my kids would be able to say, they, they would tell you all sorts of stories about my parenting, particularly in the last five years. I trust they'd be able to give you stories of where they've, they've seen their father come to them and despite their, the fact that their father was clearly right about the core issue, <laughs> say, I'm sorry, the way I brought that up was not okay. Can we reset? Because I just don't want to let the sun go down and let... And I've failed at this at times, but that principle in my house that we go to bed reconciled, maybe we've got to talk in the morning, maybe we've got another conversation. Maybe, just maybe, if we started living and seeing the fruit of that in our families, in our relationship, because I I was fortunate to have a family that did that. I don't think they were hugely intentional about it. But then out of that, and as I started walking forward in my life and in my ministry, I had great confidence that we can solve, this can, be, this can be better. And so I picked up more and more momentum. And then I got involved in a couple of really, really big, complex things. And so I am infected by hope. I am incurably infected by hope at God's ability to pour grace into a situation and make it better. And maybe some of our challenges with the really complex stuff is because we just haven't started the ground level. We just put it in the cupboard we put it in the room, lock the door, and live compartmentalized lives. That is the opposite of reconciled and whole and shalom. I'm going to get the band to come up now. It could not be a more appropriate thing than we do than come to the table, come to the communion table. I mentioned before, There's a relationship between repentance and forgiveness. Repentance, forgiveness, I've done something wrong and I'm sorry I own it. I'm sorry in my heart. I'm sorry for that. Forgiveness, something's been done wrong to me. I name it, I'm honest about it, but I forgive them. That's the flip side of the same coin, but it's the bit we've got to do, right? Versus reconciliation. There's an important difference here, just very quickly. God desires reconciliation, but it seems in Scripture, the word I've put is requires. It's almost, theologically, it's almost commands. It's the, the imperative is so strong in Scripture. Again, I wish I could find something in the Greek, but it is there. Like I said, there's these contextual things that say, well, in certain situations, we need to understand some other parts of Scripture that say it's not immediate. But he requires repentance, forgiveness. That's an expectation. Freely you have received. As we look at the cross, freely you will give. Reconciliations made possible by the attitude and actions of the offender. I can reconcile 
again, I don't know if I don't know if this is another 60 or it's just the same 60. But I can reconcile with my kids because I was the one who was just wasn't right. If I can name that, we don't even need to go to the grand issue. We can be reconciled in that moment because I can go and say, I'm sorry. That was me. That was all me. And we can, because that's, that's what I can own. It then requires some forgiveness from their side and we can be reconciled. Forgiveness is made possible by the attitude and the actions of the aggrieved. Both forgiveness and reconciliation are processes, not events. And you've got to be really careful to make sure that people are coming to you in this context, particularly in some in tricky, important relationships that have history, that people are coming with genuine repentance. It's totally okay for you to test the level of repentance. It's not words. It's not a bunch of flowers. It's not even tears. There's a pattern of behavior. It's okay for you to test that it's true repentance. And that might take some time. That's legitimate. And don't let the other party use some sort of spiritual emotional blackmail to say that demand that you accept it. That is not scripture. It's a process. Oh boy, is it a process for Jesus with me, right? There can be forgiveness without reconciliation, but there can be no reconciliation without repentance. I know some people in the room who've forgiven things for people, and you would know, who, who they don't even know. They forgive They just, like, this happened, they don't know. This is how it affected. They didn't know that. They didn't know. I can deal with all that forgiveness. That's so legitimate. That's just applying grace in a very mature, grown-up way. Reconciliation, unless both parties come with repentance, whatever is achieved is not reconciliation according to Scripture. It requires the hard work, the hard work of going, yeah, that was me. I did that. I'm going to leave these up here as we just, we're going to come to the cross. I'll get the team to come out. We're going to have communion. We do that in a way where it's spread around the room in your own time. We're going to play and worship. I'm going to leave these things up here to reflect. We're just going to have some time to start at ground zero. <laughs> On the, we, we are called, and I mean that in the, in the fullest sense, we are called as in it's our, our identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to the ministry of reconciliation. It probably starts in the closest relationship to you. The closest, let me say, probably starts with the closest and most straightforward because sometimes the close ones are really challenging but get some traction get some momentum get infected by the hope that wow that really did make things better build your confidence we need to be able to rec recognize a repentant heart in others and in ourselves it accepts full responsibility it welcomes accountability doesn't continue in the hurtful behavior, doesn't have a defensive attitude about being in the wrong. Oh, this hurts. Doesn't dismiss or downplay the hurtful behavior. That's really important. Just saying that didn't matter, that is not repentant. It doesn't carry resentment if the other party doubts sincerity. 
you bring that repentant heart and the other person because actually this you might be repentant this might be the fifth time you've had the conversation and you're finally repentant it's okay for the other person to doubt you don't get all resentful makes restitution where necessary start here let let God start here we're just going to spend a few minutes five minutes come to the cross At the cross, we realize what Jesus' opinion for how much you give for the sake of reconciliation. We look at the cross and we go, so that's the standard of what we're expected to give. The limit of how much it costs. We see that in the cross. That's a long way from what I'm probably prepared to give on my best day. But it does set a trajectory and starts a journey.